You're listening to the first episode of Tackling the Issues, part of the Premiership Radio Podcast. I'm Graham, I'm back again. We hope you enjoyed the first edition of the Premier League show um, back at the weekend. But now we're moving on to what is going to be, in my opinion at least, the best one of these three podcasts. It's going to be Tackling the Issues. And this week we're looking at a very, very hot topic in society that barely ever gets a mention in football. And that's the topic of equality. Now, in a society that has basically, you know, come to cast away the bigotry of the olden days and become more inclusive of people from different backgrounds, from different races, from different sexualities, for some reason, amongst football fans, these issues still remain prevalent. So what we're going to do today is we're going to try and get down to... um, some examples of these issues and what the FA plans to do to cut them out obviously for the sake of time and we're going to stick to um, the game in England because if we start mentioning a variety of international examples we're going to be here till the end of time basically but if you pay any attention to sports news you'll realise that stuff like this is not as prevalent in the UK as it is in countries say like Brazil where Racism has become a serious issue. Same with Italy. Same with... You know what? There's just so many... Well, anyway. I know that's not the best of starts. The most eloquent of starts. But basically, we're going to start by having a look at the um, Football for All initiative that the FA runs. Which basically um, looks to promote equality within the game. So this is what the FA has to say about this. Um, Football for All is about fairness. It's about doing things properly, about making sure everyone has a chance to be involved in football regardless of ability, race, religion, gender, sexual orientation or disability. It's about encouraging and increasing the involvement of groups at all levels of football by recognising that inequalities exist and taking steps to address them. It's about making opportunities available where currently there are few available. About using the power of football to build a better future. In order to achieve these objectives, Football for All has become a part of everything we do at the FA. So, um, basically, the uh, Football for All addresses, addresses, addresses rather, following um, racial equality, disability football, social inclusion, LGBT football, women and girls football, and um, issues relating to mental health in football, which, could, which have often created problems. So, um... Obviously, unfortunately, one of the most prevalent stories in this class is, of course, racial prejudice. We've had two very high-profile cases in England of um, alleged racist um, attacks. Well, not attacks, but rather um, racial slurs being used against players in the professional game here in England, both in the Premier League. Um, First one involving... Um, former England captain John Terry and QPR's Anton Ferdinand and the other one being involved in Man United defender Patrice Everett and Liverpool um, midfielder Luis Suarez um, this has brought about some very very big issues particularly and I know I'm going to get a lot of stick for you know picking on Liverpool again but the uh, club's reactions to the Suarez case has not helped But anyway, this is what the FA's stance is in regards to racial equality. 
Access to football and progress within it is available to people from every ethnic group. But ensuring people from ethnic groups know how and where to get into football remains a massive and ongoing task. Rightly, this task falls to the Football Association as the game's governing body in this country. However, our work to break down barriers isn't just aimed at players. It's equally directed at potential referees, administrators, coaches, volunteers and spectators. Ultimately, all our race equality work is focused on one ethos, using the positive power of football to create equal opportunities for everyone and anyone to enjoy the world's greatest game. So let's be positive. Let's eradicate racism in football by ensuring that no barriers exist to anyone enjoying our national game, whatever their ethnic background. Unfortunately, this is probably going to be the thing that sticks out the most in most fans' mind because it's it does still happen, whether you notice it particularly or not. You'll still notice that the majority of people in attendance at football matches are white males. And there's some people... And every club is guilty of this. There's some people who have a assumption that this is the right way, this is the way it should be, that anything other than this being seen at a football ground is akin to an affront to the honour of the game. Which, just from hearing my description of that, I hope everyone listening has realised that this is absolutely insane and ludicrous. Um, sadly though, it does. It is still prevalent in football. People who believe that because they're not a white male, they have no place in the game. That is completely wrong for the kickoff. Um, it's an old-fashioned view that should have been eradicated a long time ago, and for the large part, I will say it had been. It has been eradicated. The problem is. There are minorities who, um, and when I say minorities, I mean minority of football fans who still feel that we're living in the 70s or the 80s and that, you know, football should not be accessible to these groups. It's difficult to think what to say, really, because it just seems so ludicrous that the colour of someone's skin or the place where they happen to be born should be a factor in, you know, their ability to play football or to, you know, go to a football match. <sighs> this is so ridiculous. Alright, but, um... Fortunately, though, the highlighting of things that have happened this year have just, you know, caused so many issues in the game. I mean, people will say that these issues existed before, and yeah, they did. Um, it's just a shame that, you know, it does happen, because there's absolutely no grounds for it to happen. It's just so stupid that there are people who follow this game who still feel that, you know, unless you're part of a specific club, you're not allowed to be involved. It does just sound ridiculous on the face of it. It's not helped by some of the reactions of people in regards to issues that have been in the press regarding, you know, race battles. I mean, I'm always hesitating because I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for picking on Liverpool, but um, just 
take into account that um, Suarez admitted to what he'd done and was um, found guilty and banned. And the fact that the club were aware that he'd that what had happened because they were involved with the um, with the disciplinary hearings from day one, which of course he would. It's their employee who's you know facing shit for a race battle. If you're not involved, then you're not doing your job as a uh, football club. So he knew what had happened. He knew that he'd admitted to this, and yet he still uh, chose to defend him. He basically put their own footballing interests ahead of the interests of promoting equality in the game of football, which was very, very sad and pathetic, basically. Um, So, the long and short of it is that football should be available to all. Um, Should be available to people of any race, of any colour, of any religious background, no matter where they've come from. And the FA really does need to, you know, put the effort in to make the game as inclusive as possible. But thankfully, it does look as if they're doing that. How that'll translate to, you know, grassroots and any level of football really is going to be difficult to see. But hopefully, we do see it coming out. Next thing we're going to look at is um, disability. Um, football. Um, this one isn't exactly the biggest problem in and of itself because it's not like people are discriminating against people who want to play football with a disability. But you know, at the same time, there are still what may be perceived as invisible barriers to entry in regards to how to get involved in disability football. So um, here's what the FA has to say on the subject. Prior to 1999, the FA's support for the development of disability football was limited. At this time, there was a plethora of organisations that represented disabled people, and the FA found it difficult to produce a coherent, all-embracing strategy for disabled pe- for disabled football. Excuse me. The creation of the English Federation of Disability Sports, the umbrella organisation the umbrella organisation for the seven national disability sports organisations in 1998 and the establishment by the FA of the football development department a year later led to the development of the first national disability football programme, the Ability Counts programme which was launched in 1999. This was seen as the initial step in helping to identify and develop talented of footballers providing quality coaching and increasing participation in the disability game. In 2001, after a period of extensive consultation with its stakeholders and in response to various government policy documents, the FA produced its football development strategy, providing a strategic framework for football development in England for 2001 to 2006. The football development strategy's key objective was to increase participation, quality and enjoyment of football using four key strands. One of these was entitled Opportunities for All, which committed the FA to ensure that everybody had the opportunity to play, coach, manage, referee, and be spectators, regardless of their race, their culture, their religion, their gender, their ability, their sexual orientation, their ethnicity, or their social status. Complementing this, the first FA Football Development Programme Disability Football Strategy was the first step in integrating disability football into the mainstream, quote-unquote. The development of a clear strategy to ensure the further development of football of disability football is one of the FA strategic imperatives. 
It is embedded in both the FA Strategic Vision and the National Game Strategy, both covering 2008-2012. As a result, the FA's Disability Football Strategy has been developed. The Disability Strategy cannot be achieved successfully without the support of our partners and major stakeholders, and has therefore been developed in consultation with them. The London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics will provide a unique opportunity to infuse people to take part in sport, and the FA and the whole of the sport and family must be ready to take advantage of the opportunities that hosting these two globally important events will present and be prepared to meet the challenges that the huge potential increase in participation that they will produce, which will logically follow. So here's some of the uh, steps that the FA has taken to um, making inclusions in regards to disability football. The County Disability Leagues, um, basically um, pan-disability regional leagues that have been either reformed or complemented by entirely new structures that represent a switch in emphasis from regional to county-based provision. So uh, this season there are going to be 34 established county leagues with England offering regular, sorry, within England offering regular competitive opportunities for the region of 700 affiliated teams. Uh, the key information about the county division leagues, um, they are developed, sorry, they develop provision for five key groups of players playing pan-disability football, adult male, adult female, under-16 males, under-16 females, and under-13 mixed. Uh, the county leagues adopt the principle of ability branding, where there are enough participating teams and clear differences in the ability level of players. Um, county leagues adopt a, fa- a five-a-side or seven-a-side format. They deliver a program of central venue fixtures between September and May annually, a minimum of six central venue fixtures Fixture days rather per season are provided for each of the five playing groups. County League signpost players have the ability to participate in mainstream activities to the appropriate playing opportunities. Uh, the leagues focus their efforts on providing opportunities for players whose disability uh, prevents them from achieving their potential in mainstream football. Uh, they also coordinate impairment specific divisions, for example, wheelchair football or mental health divisions. Uh, there's also the disability talent pathway. Um, they have a focus on recruiting players that can progress to national development and elite squads as highlighted in the disability player pathway and as shown below amputee football um, cerebral palsy football deaf football, partially sighted football and learning disability football um, this has brought about things such as um, the FA Blind Centres of Excellence the FACP Centre of Excellence programme which was um, developed for this season uh, the regional partially sighted centres of excellence and the England and Great Britain elite impairment specific squads. There's also coaching development for um, disability football, impairment specific pre- provision, rather, the National Cerebral Palsy Football League, the Blind Futsal League, the National Amputee Football League, the English Deaf League Championship and Cup, the Wheelchair Football League, the Visually Impaired Football League and the FA's dispensation policy in regards to disability. These are all available, by the way, on the FA's website, fa.com, forward slash the FA, forward slash what we do, forward slash equality, forward slash disabilityfootball.aspx. Yes, that's a really wrong, sorry, really long URL. I apologise for it. But, um, yeah, what? That's what it is. Um, so in regards to disability football, it is brilliant to see that such positive steps are being made to um, create provisions that will get um, 
people suffering from disabilities like this involved in football. Um, next issue is on social inclusion. Um, one question which always arises when the phrase social inclusion is mentioned, what exactly does that mean? Answer, it's positive steps. Sorry, it's the positive steps an organisation can take to combat the risk of individuals or communities being excluded from mainstream society for reasons such as unemployment, low income, poor housing and family conflict or breakdown. The complete list is very extensive but the above factors can combine into a downward spiral which leads to further marginalisation and often the creation of areas of deprivation, whether in cities or even in rural areas. On the positive side, largely because of its multi-level appeal, there's arguably no sport better place than football to reach out to the socially excluded. Various examples of the FA's role in social inclusion programs are um, usually characterised by partnerships with other agencies or organisations who share the goal of using the power of football to build a better future. Now they say here that they've listed examples, but I can't see any listed, so... Mark's down to the FA for um, leaving out their things about social inclusion. The next one is probably what's seen by many as a touchy subject within football for some strange reason. Um, the widening participation of um, LGBT in football. For those of you who are unaware, LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, there's people who still take the approach to women in football that that's wrong. I think that homosexuality in football is an inherently wrong thing. Again, we can find the olden days and the things like Section 28 for that one. Um, but here's the thing. As ridiculous as it sounds that these things might well be barriers to entry. There are, because of the attitudes of some football fans, there's a fear amongst these groups that if they even dare to set foot on the football ground, they're going to get abused for the whole time, which is just completely unfair and wrong, basically. But here's what the FA has to say about um, LGBT inclusion in football. An individual's sexual orientation or gender identity should never be a barrier to participating in and enjoying our national sport. To that effect, the FA will identify boundaries within football that prevents LGBT people from engaging with the sport and ensure that every opportunity is given to enable members of the gay, lesbian, bisexual and trans communities to participate and progress within their chosen area of participation in football. They will also combat all forms of homophobic, biophobic and transphobic language and behaviour, whether by spectators, players, coaches or other participants. The FA is uniquely placed to tackle unacceptable and discriminatory behaviour in football. Why? Because as the guardian of the game in this country, the FA will continue to work tirelessly to ensure that this game exists for everyone. To work towards a more LGBT-inclusive game, we will promote a positive, inclusive image and reputation for the game, its participants and its supporters. Work with LGBT community and football stakeholders to identify boundaries to LGBT participation and work collaboratively and collectively to address them. Preserve player and participant welfare. Uh, support professional clubs and our county FA network in developing good practice around LGBT inclusion and engagement. Amend the laws of the game to outlaw homophobic, biphobic and transphobic language and behaviour. 
encouraging support current and future generations of participants from all communities to join the football family, whether as players, match officials, supporters, coaches, or administrators slash volunteers. Um, the FA has actually produced a pamphlet about um, opening doors and joining in, which is the FA's action plan for inclusion for um, lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans people in football from this year up to 2016. In fact, here's what David Bernstein, the chairman of the FA, had to say in the opening of that pamphlet. Over the past 15 years, football has made enormous progress tackling racism from the grassroots of high level, sorry, from the grassroots to the highest levels of the, nation, of the nation's favourite game. We can rightly be proud of the excellent work for the football, sorry, of the football family and our partners. But just as we remain committed to combating racism. We all have a collective responsibility to eradicate all forms of discrimination from the game. Since becoming chairman of the FA, I've been impressed by the commitment of all in football, from the grassroots to the professional game, to ensuring the football remains accessible to everyone. As the nation's favourite game, it is essential that football is open to all, irrelevant of race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, or any other factor. It is this essential commitment that underpins the FA's equality objectives and I'm pleased to share with you our action plan for inclusion and anti-homophobia. The plan highlights not only the FA's belief that football must be accessible to all, but that any form of homophobia or transphobia will not be accepted within our game. The plan will see the football family work in partnership with the lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans community stakeholders including Kick It Out, Stonewall, Pride Sports, The Justice Campaign, the Gay Football Supporters Network, the Police and the Crown Prosecution Service. The FA has a moral obligation to provide a safe environment for those who play, watch, coach, officiate and administer the game, as well as protecting the game's integrity and implementing our legal responsibilities. This plan and our subsequent work will also promote a positive, inclusive image and reputation of the game, its participants and supporters, preserve player and participant welfare, Encourage future generations of participants from all communities to come into the game, whether as a player, a match official, a supporter, a coach, or an administrator slash volunteer. Tackling homophobia and transphobia in football is about fulfilling our obligation to serve the communities we represent and to create an environment where the LGBT communities can be actively involved without the fear of discrimination and prejudice. Football's responsibilities to combat racism has demonstrated that a collective approach with partners from inside and outside the football family is effective. Just as we join together to combat racism, we all have a collective responsibility to ensure that football remains accessible to all and to combat homophobic and transphobic abuse in the game. In June 2010, the football family made a public commitment to this work with the signing of the government charter, tackling homophobia and transphobia in sports, the Charter for Action. We are now ready to build on this commitment. The action plan indicates how the FA will lead this work. I look forward to producing an end-of-season report as feedback to the football community at large on the progress we've made. And some of the um, things that have been mentioned, some of the um, sources that have been mentioned, we all give at the end, like um, Pride, Fo- Pride Sports, the Justin campaign, and Kick It Out, the Let's Kick Racism Out of Football campaign. Um, well again though it just brings rise to the attitudes of certain football fans or what is seen in um, the media or the common knowledge to be the typical football fan which is a white British male Um, it tends to be rather a fear rather of any other group becoming involved 
which stems from I can only say it stems from their ignorance of these issues and it's not really fair that people are being excluded from the game in this way and the other thing as well women's and girls football always a hot topic for some reason uh, I mean there's still people these days who think of women playing football and say never never in my day again this is pathetic I mean I can go and see half the people who think that way there are um, women playing football at um, some of the highest levels that are probably you know kick rings around these people but anyway this is what um, the FA has to say in regards to women and girls football the FA has made huge strides in creating opportunities for women and girls to play our national sport indeed football is now officially the biggest female team sport in England last season over 147,000 female players competed in affiliated league and cup competitions a figure which has risen from just 10,493 when records began but there's still massive growth potential. 1.1 million girls play kickabout football. And there are also barriers to overcome. For example, women and girls from some ethnic communities remain unaware of the opportunities which exist. And their cultural, religious and social norms to overcome. The same applies for disabled women and girls. The involvement of females in football also extends beyond playing. We want to increase the number of female coaches, referees and administrators. Underpinning all our work are some of our key messages. Football is fun, it improves self-esteem, creates new friendships, and like all sports, it plays a key role in combating obesity, particularly in teenagers. Now, this will bring uh, flashbacks to the Sean Massey incidents. Which, for those of you who don't remember, Sean Massey is a um, one of the first examples of a female um, refereeing official to um, participate in the professional men's game at the highest tiers. Indeed, now she's um, officiated Premier League and Championship games. However, um, she was the subject of some um, rather sexist comments by uh, former Sky Sports commentators Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. Um, of course, the comments were um, deemed to be so offensive that they were removed from their jobs because of it. Um, it does rather highlight the traditional attitude in football though that maybe women don't get the game which is a bit of an idiotic approach I mean I'll be honest I've met women who could probably you know kick me off the park much better football players than I am and um, I suppose any person who says that women shouldn't be involved in the game probably know one person like that as well. Again, I'd like to say it's misguided, but there are several cases where it's just plain bigotry, and it's just wrong, and it's not fair, especially when we're in a society which is becoming way more accepting of um people of different backgrounds, different people of different race, people of different religion, people of different sexual orientation. Um, why these issues are being eradicated, well not completely eradicated of course, they're still underpinning issues, but why are we growing more tolerant towards these issues in society and yet in football it never seems to move. 
in the perception of the fans are is, oh it seems to go backwards like they're just trying to reaffirm gender stereotypes which just on the face of it just sounds ludicrous Um. so I've just about run out of things to say really Um. I'll provide links to all the information that I've used for this podcast it's all on the FA website the all links to some of the uh, facilities available and before we go we'd just like to just revisit the LGBT thing once more and uh, check out Pride Sports yes you can tell that I'm literally just um, getting on the website now what we're after they're um, about us here we go a social enterprise, Pride Sports is the UK's leading organisation for LGBT sports development and equality. We work with national governing bodies of sports, the Government Equality Office, LOCOG, which is a quango I'm led to believe, trade unions, LGBT History Month, which is February for those of you who don't know, um, LGBT sports groups, the UK LGBT Sports Network and other important partners in pursuit of our strategic objectives. Pride Sports was constituted as a company limited by guarantee on the 24th of April 2006 with Trevor Burkick MBE and Louise Engelfield as directors. Between them, they've bought over 25 years of experience of project management and development in voluntary public and private spheres. Since then, the founding directors have been joined by a third director, Sally Carr, who brings substantial strategic expertise both in LGBT and mainstream youth work. Since the company's inception, its directors have served as board members of international LGBT sports organisations such as GLISA, the International Gay and Lesbian Sports Association, and the company is currently represented on the board of the EGLSF, E-G-L-S-F rather, the European Gay and Lesbian Sports Organisation. Pride Sports is also a member of the Federation of Gay Games, the longest-standing international LGBT sports association. Last year, Pride Sports successfully delivered the 6th annual Pride Games, the UK's annual Unisport Festival, originally conceived by a group of volunteers and regularly attended by participants from throughout Europe. Over a five-year period, Pride Games has seen in excess of 8,000 participants and has delivered the first LGBT youth games to the world, now in its third year. Pride Sports has used its annual multi-sports festival as a springboard for the development of, new- of year-round LGBT sports activity in the Northwest, Having supported... a the launch of a number of LGBT sports groups and help support the further growth of established groups. In 2008, Pride Sports launched the first ever national LGBT sports summit, an event designed to bring together more than 100 LGBT sports organisations in the UK with national governing bodies of sport and representatives from the sports councils. Uh, to begin the development of an inclusive strategy for LGBT sports in the UK. From this event, Pride Sports launched the National LGBT Sports Network, which constitutes itself during 2009 and whose steering group includes representatives of eight UK LGBT sports groups and associations. The strategic objectives are to tackle homophobia in sports and promote the inclusion of LGBT in national sports strategy and delivery in the UK. To promote the growth of a vibrant UK-wide LGBT sports community through the development of the National LGBT Sports Network. Uh, To deliver deliver and grow rather the Pride Games Sports Festival annually and to maintain its position as the UK's premier LGBT multi-sports festival using Pride Games as a pillar event for the Euro Games. To increase opportunities for, for participation in sport by LGBT young people, promoting sport as an attractive lifestyle alternative to the commercial gay scene. 
and to ensure all projects and activities are inclusive of all sections of the LGBT community and target need where it is greatest, for example, for those living with and affected by HIV. So, um, yeah, that's just an example of um, some of the outside communities that have been working along with the FA to try and bring you know, issues like these to the forefront of the essential football fans in an attempt to try and eradicate them. And again, it just bears repeating, why do we still have these issues in football when we're well along the way to eradicating them from society? I mean, there's always going to be issues. You can't completely eradicate the problem. But at least on the whole, this country's becoming a lot more tolerant of people from different backgrounds, people from different religions, people of different races, people of different sexual orientation, people of different genders. The list goes on and on. And it's definitely a good thing that that's happening because, again, just the very notion of, you know, bigotry and prejudice is just stupid. I'm a firm believer of one race, the human race, and that's definitely the attitude that basically every single person walking this earth should take. And in case you're wondering, because I know this is probably going to come up in the comments, so I'm going to save myself some time. I am a straight white British male. So, if I can see, you know, that these are ridiculous, then I'm pretty sure it would be obvious to anyone else listening as well. And no, just because you were brought up saying, you were brought up to believe that this is wrong, doesn't make it wrong. The only thing that's wrong is the ignorance that people are bringing into this. They can say that, you know, they were brought up to believe a specific manner but at the same time if you're not willing to put the effort into actually try and look into the issues yourself then you're coming across as an idiot basically um well on as a closing note i'm just gonna say you know congratulations to the fa because a lot of effort has gone into um making the game more inclusive and that is definitely going to be better not just for the game but for society on the whole and that is definitely the type of attitude we need to bring in going forward if we're going to, you know, make this game as inclusive as it possibly can be. But I think that's about all we've got time for. So um, I've rather enjoyed doing this, um, getting to look further and further into what the um, FA's plans. Now I need to go away and think about what I'm going to talk about next week. Um, I've been suggested to talk about finance, which may well very be something, which may very well be something that I go into. But obviously, that's going to require a lot of research. So keep your eyes here, see what's coming up next week on tackling the issues, and don't forget Friday it's the first edition of Pre-Match Bulletins, where we're going to go over the news heading into the next week's round of fixtures. But until then, thanks for listening. See you next time.